Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Brawn Body Podcast. In this episode, we're excited to be joined by Mr. Joel Bennett to discuss his journey and experiences throughout baseball and his life. So for those who don't know, Joel is a former Major League Baseball pitcher. He was drafted by the Boston Red Sox in 1991 and pitched for both the Philadelphia Phillies and the Baltimore Orioles in the late 90s. He later went on to pitch for the New Jersey Jackals in the North Northern League East and the Canadian American Association. And he really came in clutch in 2004 in the playoffs. Uh, he came back to pitch a major playoff win for them. And in total, he went 59 and 19 with New Jersey. So with that, Mr. Bennett, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much, Dan. So when people look at your name or they Google you, they're going to find that you've had some incredible life experiences. You've not only just played sports like baseball, but I mean, you've worked with some of the best athletes to walk the planet. Uh, from Arizona in 1994, where you were uh, working with Michael Jordan. Uh, you, in uh, I think it was the Carolina League, you had 221 strikeouts in 1993. And that was only behind like Randy, Randy Johnson and uh, Jose Rio, I think it was. And right. played with Tim Wakefield, No Marker Ciapara, Terry Francona. I mean, some household names, it seems. Uh, it's just crazy to think that someone from a small town could do all these amazing things in their life. Um, so kind of going back to where it all began for you in college at Eastern Stroudsburg, did you really uh, see all this kind of coming into fruition for your life and your uh, career in the 90s? Well, the vision was way before college. <laughs> going back to your intro, Dan, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't even think about some of that stuff until people start talking about it. And my career is not much to, you know, I, I didn't last up there too long. I've got amazing stories, but that's about all I got to show for it. But yeah, the experiences being teammates with two of the most famous athletes in the world, Michael Jordan, Cal Ripken Jr. It was amazing. But yeah, my growing up, I was five years old. My brother was 10. Mm -hmm. So whenever he was out back with my dad working on pitching or whatever, little league, I was out there with him. I used to get frustrated because I would nose my way in there, right, to get a workout. <laughs> you know, he's out there playing with all his buddies at 12, 13, 14. Here I I am seven, eight, nine, and you know, the bratty little kid getting in there. But after a while, they started welcoming me in there because I could hang with them. And I knew since boy, before I was even in Little League, what I wanted to do. I just knew what I wanted to do. So it's been a goal before college. So it started to get realistic to me when I was there. Mm -hmm. but the dream started way before that. For sure. And it sounds like you had quite the work ethic and commitment to it. Um, and you had great family support to help get you there as well. Absolutely. And, you know, as a coach today, it's something that I struggle with a little bit with athletes because my mindset was so different. I was never not doing baseball. Um, it wasn't just go to practice and then wait for the game. It was a nonstop process when I was sitting in class, I was thinking about it as a little kid. I can just picture, I grew up in a trailer park and I lived in the bottom of the lot. It was kind of a U-shaped driveway down at the bottom. And across, we had a field by my uh, yard. And then across the field was a row of trees. A farmer lived there. 
And it was just far enough that I had one of those yellow wiffle ball bats with some duct tape on it. That if I hit a rock good enough, I could reach those trees. <laughs> so I would go out in the driveway with a bucket and pick all the round stones out of my driveway. And the super, the guy that ran it, used to get upset, you know, stop picking the rocks out of my driveway. <clears throat> I pick a bucket of rocks and stand there yep. and go through nine innings at bats. If I popped it up, it was not. If I hit it, good it was a base hit if i reached the trees in the air it was a double over the trees home run non-stop and uh, my dad had this old piece of plywood mm-hmm. that i nailed we had a big oak tree at the bottom of the yard and i nailed the that plywood to the oak tree and a little piece of foam that i found that i nailed that to the plywood that was my strike zone and i had two baseballs so i'd go up in my driveway where we would park and again, throw until I couldn't throw anymore, two baseballs at a time, you know, strike one with one of them, ball one, go down and get him, walk back. It was just nonstop. There was, I just would invent things to help myself get better. And as people were playing on TV, I was standing in my living room, taking swings or going through my windup. It was just, it was just a mindset. I just never doubted that I would make it. For sure. That's, um, you know, you really embraced it, made it your life for lack of a better way to put it. Um, And we see something pretty commonly now with many successful athletes, such as Tom Brady, is he said, you know, in order to get his life in football, he lost his life in everything else. He just engulfed the sport. And that was, you know, his day every day. And I know there's some people nowadays who say, you know, well, you know, maybe we should have them kind of limiting and maybe we should do this sport, that sport, kind of mix it up a little bit. Uh, But when multiple successful people have said, you know, you really just need to be obsessed with the sport and fall in love with it. uh, I think that speaks volumes. Um, Did you have any kind of role models growing up or any kind of favorite athlete or anything? Yeah, actually, my favorite team now is the Red Sox. That's who I was drafted by. Yep. So as, you know, I went through and then stopped playing all the guys in the big leagues, Nomar and Trot Nixon. And Frank Hona was a manager. He was my manager. So you have a connection. You know, Wakefield was my roommate. I lived with him. So those are people I knew. That became my favorite team. But growing up, I was a Yankee fan. Bucky Ben <laughs> Randolph. I mean, you know, the middle infielders. I was a shortstop right through college. I got drafted as a pitcher, but I was a shortstop first. Mm-hmm. So watching those two was really the reason I, I fell in love with the game and wanted to do it because my dad used to watch Yankees and my older brother. And that's the reason I started to do it. And being obsessed with it didn't mean I didn't do other things. I mean, I every sport there was to play, I would do it. It's different than today. You know, my buddies and I would leave our house and forget to go home and eat. We'd be out all day long. <laughs> We'd bring our basketball with us. We'd bring our gloves. We'd bring golf clubs. We'd, we'd just be out all day. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's crucial that people do play other sports. If you're an athlete, you need to learn how to move. And every sport's a different skill set. So having that experience is going to help you tremendously. So, yes, be obsessed with what you love, and that's what you know you're going to do. But, you know, I see kids that are doing one sport year-round, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And it leads to burnout sometimes. For sure as a young kid, but yeah, so there was, it wasn't just baseball. It was basketball season and things like that. I would go play tennis with my buddies and we, we did everything. Wiffle ball. We'd set up our own wiffle ball stadium in everybody's yard, you know? (laughs) 
So yeah, it was a uh, nonstop. For sure. And that's definitely something it seems like we've gotten away from in more recent memory and modern Absolutely. times is, you know, people don't get outside like they used to. People aren't doing the athletic endeavors and the sporting things. And I know many cite cost as a prime reason for that, but I'm right. guessing you growing up, you probably didn't have a thousand dollar iPhone. Um, or a, you know, 70 inch flat screen in the living room. And, uh, you know, most of the time, like you said, you were kind of improvising, you were using rocks, plywood stuff that you could get. And, you know, I think that just kind of speaks volumes to say you don't always need the nicest, latest and greatest stuff to get active and move around and start having a positive impact on not just your health and fitness, but whatever sporting career you see for yourself. No question. And I didn't have much growing up as a kid, but I had everything I needed. Right. I never felt like I wanted. And uh, just going in a field with rocks and trying to hit trees or, you know, flowers and just picking things and trying to throw at them. And when we went to my grandma's house, she uh, used to burn wood all the time. So she had some long, thin sticks. And we would take the bottom so we didn't get splinters. And my brother and I would go out and hit rocks from a driveway across the road. And like you said, improvising. And But the game was still the game. We were working on the skills no matter what we were doing. And, you know, playing 500 with everybody, throwing fly balls and ground balls and line drives. And you got to catch and make points. And we used to have this game called First Base. <laughs> uh, we had two names called First Base or Spectacular Plays. So one person would be the first baseman, the other yep. would be the infielder. And we'd use a tennis ball and we'd roll the tennis ball like impossible plays and you'd have to make a play and make a throw. And I, the more I'm thinking about this, the more things I, I could spend an hour on things that we just made up to do. We didn't, yeah. you see kids walking in today and they got their backpacks with two bats sticking out of them, 500 bucks a piece. And yeah, I. I remember as a sophomore in high school, my uncle lived in New York City. And uh, for Christmas one year, my mom had him buy me an Easton Black Magic. I mean, that was, I slept with it. It was in my bed. And I used it for six seasons. It was high school legion, high school legion, high school legion. Six seasons, everybody using my bat and it survived. And, you know, that was the only bat I ever owned. Usually you use your team's equipment. It's just a different world. It really is. And For um, sure. There are some kids you see that have that fire in their bellies that mm -hmm. want to get better and want to learn and uh, are asking questions and making adjustments. And um, I, I just, just, just how it was. I had a, that fire in my belly and I knew what I wanted to do since I was five years old and it was going to happen. Now, kind of fasting forward a little bit here from growing up in the field, hitting rocks to the day you get that phone call that you were just drafted by the Boston Red Sox. What was that like? Leading up to that, it was just such an exciting time because I was a junior in yep. college and that's when all the scouts start showing up. Mm -hmm. Every game that I was pitching, um, there were scouts everywhere, you know, three, four a game. And I played in a little division two. I was a small kid. I'm still six feet tall, 175 pounds. I was never 6'4", 240. I wasn't that. I didn't throw very hard. I was a mid-80s guy. Mm -hmm. But having real success 
and my roommates, I lived with six guys at a, an apartment at college. And every day I'd come home and they were just excited. The Padres called today, the Red Sox called. So they're like <laughs> answering the phone and scouts were calling and just that whole process leading up to it and the reality that maybe. So my wife and I, when we were dating through that, uh, my wife worked at McDonald's when she was home from college and all. And one day she was closing and cleaning up the restaurant and under one of the booths was a, one of those little wooden bats. Yep. And it was a Boston Red Sox that was with on it. So she gave that to me. She goes, I think this means something. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so when that call came through, because you're watching, you know, you know that day and you, you don't know. It's not like today where you can get on the internet and watch the draft as it's happening. Mm -hmm. it wasn't like that. So I was just waiting and uh, yeah, it was a 21st round pick, um, but it happened, you know, Boston Red Sox and just funny how that happens. You know, it's my, cause I went and worked out for the scout three times. He came up and had me throw for him. So we kind of had a feeling the Red Sox were leaning that way. And then she finds that bat. So it's just amazing. Just absolutely amazing. For sure. And it's kind of interesting how there's kind of little signs leading up to it too. Yes. Yes. Wasn't, yes. It wasn't kind of just total shot in the dark here. It was like something, something bigger was at play. So, yeah, we had a we had a feeling. Yeah, little things like that all along the way. And I'm sure, you know, the road to the major leagues and even your time in uh, professional baseball, it, it probably wasn't a whole marathon of sunshine, hills and valleys. You know, getting called up, getting pushed down. Uh, from double A to a single A or triple A to double A or whatever it was. Um, what obstacles did you face and how did you kind of overcome them? It was brutal. It really was. Um, minor leagues, it's all exciting. And I'd come home from my first year and they're like, hey, money bags, where's a new car? I'm like, um, <laughs> do lawns this summer? You made way more than I did. People don't understand. Minor leaguers, like, double a guys are making maybe $1,500 a month mm -hmm. paid for the five months you're playing. And out of that is coming your expenses for the apartment you're living in. And so there's no money to be had at all. And my signing bonus, I, they gave me my last year of college, which was like $12,500 mm -hmm. after I signed out of state tuition went up 25%. Go figure. <laughs> I didn't even have enough to pay for it, you know, going back to college. So the money I never, ever all the way through made any money. So I'd have to come home and start getting a job right away. But the travel, you're on a bus your whole life and you wake up and you forget what you don't know what day it is half the time. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just one game. after another. There's no days off. So life on a bus and, you know, figuring out how to ride a bus without killing your back and stand <laughs> for hours instead of laying on the floor and it was it was tough and uh everybody's it was an interesting thing with pitchers mm -hmm. became buddies but the reality was there was a friendly competition there because you're on the same team with people but you're all trying to get to the same place mm -hmm. yeah we were teammates and we were friends but we were competing against each other because we wanted to be that one moving up so it was interesting. And me being a mid-80s guy, I wasn't big. I wasn't lighting up radar guns, which led to the delay in me even getting there and having to prove myself. So it was kind of frustrating because there were guys getting called up left and right ahead of me that I was definitely having better years than, better numbers, more success. 
but you watch today's game, every pitcher is throwing 98. Mm-hmm. Hitters trying to hit it. Yeah. When's the last time you've seen a bunt? Right? The game has yeah. really changed. It's really changed. So, yeah, they were looking, they even started back then, looking for those guys that were throwing 95 or hitting the ball 500 feet. And I wasn't that guy. And if you really think about the game of baseball, minor leagues, the entire team in the minor leagues, single A, double A, are made up of 25 guys. But the reality is they're there for two prospects, mm-hmm. right? Those guys to play and get some uh, repetitions in. And somewhere along the way, other guys like myself get lucky enough that you keep striving and persevering, right? That's the word I like. We need to talk about perseverance mm-hmm. that get it. But really, all those guys that are just struggling through and are career minor leaguers, that's just the nature of it because they're really pushing three or four guys in an organization that are going to move up. And you're just there to make up a team for them. You know, that took me a while to figure that out because I see these guys getting pushed and pushed and pushed, mm-hmm. getting it done. And it was really strange to me until I figured it out probably three, four years in that you really need to stand out and keep doing what you're doing to be successful to get there. So the frustration of mentally realizing you're doing everything you can do and they're still pushing other guys to just dig deeper and and find ways to get better. So mentally was the hardest part. Mm -hmm. Physically, you're young, you're in your 20s, you're doing what you love doing. Um, But yeah, the, the hardest part about that for sure was the psychological Definitely. And, um, you know, those kind of lessons, just continuing to persevere, as you said, when things don't always go your way. I mean, I'm going to imagine that's carried you pretty far in life outside of baseball is, you know, nothing is ever going to be handed to you on a silver platter and nothing is going to get easier and easier and easier. You know, it seems like in life, things can really challenge you sometimes. And if you're comfortable, then uh, you're probably going to get uncomfortable pretty soon. It always has a way of throwing another curveball at you. Um, but your ability to continue to move forward and push past that is what is going to make you successful or keep you where you're currently at. Yeah, regardless of what phase of life you're in, what your career choice is, um, that strive to, to get better and do for others. And my faith is a huge part of it, right? If I didn't have a relationship with God and, and if I didn't have that, you know, well, where do people find hope that it's, it's strange to me. So that helped tremendously because I always had something to um, get me through those tough times, right? I wasn't relying on myself or, <clears throat> you know, things like that. There was always a way that I could step back and pray about it and give me some peace and that's just life like I'm a middle school phys ed teacher now and um, just knowing what kids are going through it's a different world right they're Mm -hmm. they're inundated with information and some of it they shouldn't even have access to and the things they're seeing and just giving them the reality of you know as as hard as things are right they're here for a reason you know there's a there's a being here and there's joy in everything even though we're like you said earlier even though we're in a valley Mm-hmm. you're facing a storm right now the mm-hmm. sun just beyond the clouds and sometimes all we can see is that thunder and lightning that's in front of us and the rage of a storm that we're going through in life but it's going to end 
and there's the sun beyond it. And uh, just having that mindset to, to persevere again and push through and knowing that, you know, everything that we go through is for a reason. We grow because of pain. There's purpose in pain. For sure. And I love how you brought up the faith aspect of it as well, because that's another thing that tends to get kind of shoved to the side in modern society. Um, but at the time this episode is airing, uh, we just finished up our spiritual fitness uh, episode with uh, Nate Clugston, who has a degree in religion and has done um, multiple different uh, seminaries and service trips and all that sort of thing. And if you're listening, you haven't listened to that episode yet, I highly recommend you go back and listen to it because faith has this ability to kind of have a positive impact on the things that people don't have answers for. And I'll give you some quick examples. So when we think about health in America, cardiovascular disease is a big deal. Well, there's a lot of research that shows having some kind of faith and spiritual life, some kind of relation with the good Lord above will improve your blood pressure at rest and during activity and your autonomic nervous system control over your heart and re uh, respiratory rate. Uh, there's also a lot of research on faith and cancer, and there's a much higher um, satisfaction outcome with people who have a relationship with the Lord uh, if they're diagnosed with cancer. And you might think, okay, well, what does that have to do with any of this? Uh, you have to remember that we're not just talking about sports here. We're talking about all aspects of life. And there's kind of commonalities, different things that connect all of them together. And faith is one of the biggest things that does that, that no one is talking about and no one is addressing. And I think it's amazing that in your case, that was one of the biggest things for you to keep moving forward and continue pushing because as you know, eventually you got to where you wanted to be. Eventually you were able to step on the field in the major league baseball um, division for the Philadelphia Phillies. You were able to do that for the Baltimore Orioles. You were able to strike out major league baseball hitters, which is an incredible experience. And that's something that, you know, so many people will never get to do. It's just, incredible and why I was in that position because i was blessed with an ability we all have gifts no matter right. who you are uh what you're struggling with in life whether you're an athlete or not you've been blessed with gifts you in the same house as other people and you have different interests that's just not something that happens you were blessed with those gifts and learn how to use those and why did I get to the major leagues for 41 days total have nothing to show it other than amazing stories is because now I'm a middle school teacher and it's an instant conversation between my students and I and an instant connection mm -hmm. and even though <laughs> a lot of times they'll say are you in the hall of fame no but you any good then no I wasn't any good I'm not in the hall of fame you know because <laughs> they're 13 you don't know but yeah there's an instant connection there and going back to your health thing, just think about your body chemistry. If you're nonstop worry and anger and resentment, it just changes your body chemistry. And right, we're not meant to deal with that. So, you know, the Bible says there, you, you have a peace beyond understanding. 
how can people be at peace when there's so much turmoil in their lives or because we know the end game mm-hmm. know where we're going to end up when we know that we're here for a reason it's not to struggle and suffer even though we're going to it's a promise you're gonna have trouble in this life there's no question mm-hmm. but having the hope beyond that totally changes a mindset and how you can go about your day and live your life because whether you're a believer or you're not at the end we're all going to come face to face and are you going to be ready for that that's a big question that sometimes people need to answer but going back to that i want to listen to your podcast you just talked about because what a huge aspect in our physical being is peace for sure um and i mean with that too comes a lot of different lessons uh that it sounds like people in your experiences could have learned a little bit and it sounds like society in general could uh, benefit from them so one of the ones that comes to mind is uh proverbs twenty seven seventeen. so iron sharpens iron so one person sharpens another um and you said there's kind of like that competitive aspect in the minor leagues how you know it's like who's going to get called up is it going to be me is it going to be you you're all on the same team but you're competing to get to that next level within the team and i'm sure they're would have been a lot better outcomes if everyone was just focused on improving one another and everyone working together instead of, you know, I need to do better than that person, but we're all on the same team. So we all need to win. Right. That was not the goal. (laughs) And, you know, I I don't think I played on very many winning minor league teams. When I got Jackals, you spoke of that. It was later in my career. I had done my thing in the big league. But I got the opportunity to go back and still compete and be a pitching coach on the team, which I absolutely relished because I love teaching. Mm-hmm. And that was a situation where there were a couple guys like myself that had been there, done that. But most of them were young guys that had an opportunity and lost it or wanted it. So they were hungry. And it was an amazing thing, the questions and how they just ate up the information. So that was kind of a different situation than being in an organization. Um, I don't know when, when you get drafted, because I saw so many guys just fall, just fall because they got drafted and they think they were there and they got caught up in that lifestyle on the road and not taking care of themselves and wondering why they're not getting it done. Right. It's easy to do. And it's also easy to do in life. You can focus on some things that uh, we shouldn't be focused on. Right. We're going to have trouble like we both talked about. But yeah, at the end of the day, where's your hope life? Exactly. Um, And the other thing that you've kind of alluded to throughout this is I would say your commitment to service and giving back and bettering others, uh, not just through um, your role as a teacher, but I know you also spend a lot of time coaching baseball. And that's not necessarily something you had to do. You didn't always get paid to do it, but you had a true passion for the sport and you were really giving back to your local community by sharing that passion with others and helping them realize their potential with it. And Absolutely. I, yeah, that's a, another thing. Why, why not? Mm-hmm. Why not help kids? And uh, it helped that my kids all came up through with you, Dan, right? You play with my sons. And uh, last year during the pandemic, the summer, I was home. That was the first year I talked to my wife about it. That was the first year in 43 years that I hadn't either been playing or coaching baseball. 
That must right. have been a weird one. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was very bizarre. It was wonderful because we just spent time as a family, but at the same time, wow. <laughs> that. 43 years, it's the first time. So it's just wonderful to be able to give back and have the opportunity to be able to bless kids and be able to teach and help them understand to get better and improve and pass along the things that I learned from. And, and that's another thing. I'm, I'm glad you just brought that up. Guys would get done with their work and go and just leave. Mm -hmm. I'm done with my work. Um, and here's another thing. It was brutal about spring training. Pitchers, you get your work in. You're doing your pitcher fielding practice, working on stuff. If you got a bullpen that day, you throw it. Then it's the hitter's turn to take BP. So what were the pitchers doing? Standing in the outfield, shagging for like an hour. Mm -hmm. Florida or Arizona, and you're just baking and your back hurts because you're still wearing your spikes and just shagging every day. But then after the day's over, people are just leaving. I would go over to the cages and I'm listening to Yastrzemski and Jim Rice and all these Mike Easler, these amazing people, Hall of Famers in cages teaching people how to hit. Mm -hmm. as, me as a pitcher, other than pitching, what's the one thing I want to know about? Hitting. Yeah. <laughs> That's my opponents. So I'm listening to what's being taught and, and how am I going to use that as a weapon, right? How am I going to use this information to help me as a pitcher attack these guys? You know, what are they talking about? What weaknesses do they talk about? So I would go over there and just sit and listen to these guys. And when uh, Schilling's throwing a bullpen, I'm not sitting in the clubhouse. I'm going out and watching. So I took advantage of all those opportunities of being around amazing athletes Mm -hmm. And during games, I'd walk by hitters and say, okay, here's a situation. How would you attack this? When would you, how would you? So asking questions of the people you're competing with, but at the same time, these are the hitters that are trying to figure you out. I just spent so much time doing that. And I didn't see that a lot from other people. And that was one of the main reasons that I think I was successful because <laughs> it just was bizarre to me that people wouldn't take advantage. But again, that's just a different mindset. Can't just rely on your skill level. My skill level got me to double A. Once I made that jump to triple A, it didn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. I was throwing pitches in triple A that guys were just watching. And in double A, they're swinging at them. Strike one. Triple A, they're recognizing them out of my hand like that. They're just taking ball one. And I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> anymore right so we got to learn all over again right and uh yeah. you know i think that's a huge point in itself is just taking advantage of the opportunities you're given and you you never know where those opportunities are going to come from and you never know where they might lead and i think a lot of times lately i see a lot of people are kind of afraid to take that first step and you know open up a door for themselves or someone else uh, through an opportunity. And I think at the end of the day, you really just have to go and jump into it. Um, because if you just keep sitting there kind of waffling back and forth, like using your story, for example, if you just kind of sat there and you're like, well, you know, I'm kind of tired, I could go home, get a little more sleep. But you know, they are talking about some really good stuff right there. These are some amazing people, some of the best athletes in the game right now, I could probably learn quite a bit from them. You know, if you just kind of got stuck in that decision phase, waffling back and forth, back and forth, you wouldn't have these stories to tell. 
you made the decision and you know it ended up being the right one but if you just kind of stick there and sit around and stay indecisive you're, you're not going to have any story to tell so here's a perfect example of really painting a picture of reality and this isn't just baseball this is life so in spring training you've got probably three single a teams double a triple a mm-hmm. so in spring and each roster has 25 guys but in spring training there's over 200 guys in spring training, all in the same clubhouse, just row after row after row after row of lockers. Mm-hmm. During the end of spring training, we used to call it spring cleaning, right? When they're trying to make decisions about rosters. Mm-hmm. So there are guys that have been drafted out of high school, played pro ball for three, four years. Now they're 21, 22. That's all they've known. No degree, right? Just high school all right? and just play baseball. And here are the managers just looking down these aisles, pointing. Come here, Smith. Come here, Bennett. Come here. Just pointing guys out and calling them over and handing them plane tickets. Mm -hmm. Thanks for being here. We don't need you. Literally, go home. You don't have a job. It's the end of spring training. The season's starting. You've got nowhere to go. And I've seen so many guys sitting at their lockers with their head in their hands, sobbing with the reality of what am I going to do now? I'm 21. I've never been to college. I thought this was going to be it for me. Everybody's got their roster set. What am I going to do now? Mm -hmm. Struck me so, and I didn't really notice that. I didn't recognize it until like my third year because I had made a team and I knew I was going to be on a team and it wasn't a part of anything, but once I started really paying attention, watching that happen, it, I mean, I, it wasn't a part of me, but it was a knife in my chest. Like these guys, what are they going to do? And that's not baseball. That's life. Right. Yep. If you sit back and wait for it to come to you. Um, you're going to have some issues. You, you've got to advocate for yourself and take those risks. And if you don't, like you said, Dan, if you don't, advocate for yourself it's going to pass you by it just will for sure um i was reading a book lately uh it's by uh dr benjamin hardy and he literally just decodes this whole thing that we're talking about right now um and basically if you want to um prevent these awful life life things from occurring uh, it's not to say they won't happen uh, but it will certainly reduce your odds. You just need to keep out there and keep doing things. Um, and relating this back to faith as well, uh, you know, the Bible doesn't necessarily speak highly of people who sit around on the couch all day doing nothing. It calls you to act. And, you know, if you read the gospel, whether it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you'll look at the life of Jesus and see that he didn't really spend a whole lot of time himself sitting around on the couch, waiting around, waiting for things to happen. He went out and made things happen. So I I think one big takeaway from this is just make sure you're doing something. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't really matter what you're doing, whether it's talking and learning, or maybe it's physically doing something like a sport or a um, activity, whatever it is, just do something because action will lead you closer to where you want to go as opposed to just kind of sitting around, not really doing anything. 
Absolutely. And we are called to action. I mean, you think about the Apostle Paul, who literally was told, do not go to that city. Don't do it. Don't go there. And he knew. And uh, but he had to share the gospel and he would go knowing and nearly getting beat to death and thrown in prison. And, you know, there's going to be pain. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to make decisions that set us back. But continuing to persevere, continuing to advocate for yourself, continuing to push for your dream, literally who can hold you back, right? There's nothing that can, but to sit back and wait, that can turn out to be more painful because pretty soon you realize you're 50 years old and now what, right? So mm -hmm. life is short. And unfortunately, um, things have kind of changed when, even when you grew up, right? You had to work for some things that you got. And now today's world, we, we sign our kids up for soccer and we have a little party at the end and everybody gets a little trophy and, um, right. There's no striving for that trophy. Mm -hmm. He's going to get one, right. You did it. You played. So that push to succeed, that push to be that one. And I think what pushed me and this, this happened since I was little. If I was on a field or out in the backyard just playing football with guys or whatever, if there was someone better than me, it, it wasn't okay. I, I couldn't take that. If, you know, I was playing baseball as a sophomore and I was on the varsity team and we we're playing against these guys and I'm watching this kid like, man, that's, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm not going to step on a field and have somebody better than me. That's unacceptable. And that was my mindset right? It's unacceptable to have somebody better than me. And that was just, I think that's what pushed me. I wanted to be that person and I could watch and learn and see how and know what I needed to do. And a little of that's absent in today's world a little bit, not with everybody. There are some guys that really like to push, but if people had that mindset that I'm not going to just sit back and wait, or I'm not going to just push a button and have all this information available to me. And, and that's what I keep telling kids that I coach. You can't just want to be better, right? I want to be really good this year. And I'm going to come to practice for an hour and a half every day and go through the motions and then it's going to happen. No, there's, if you want to get better, you make yourself get better. It's not a want thing. It's a, what do I do? What are the steps? What are the drills? How much time am I going to put in? And that's not just baseball. That's not just sport. That's life, right? For sure. And uh, again, that's just another big takeaway is if you want something, go out there, find a way to make it happen, take action. Because I mean, in your case, you literally went from small town, probably not even on the map in most cases, hitting rocks in a field at age five, 10, to walking on to the field of a major league baseball game to pitch. And have experiences with some of the best athletes ever to strike out some pretty good athletes if they're in the MLB and to be able to share all these experiences and give back all of that um, knowledge and wisdom that you've gained along the way to your local community that helped you get there in the first place. And I just think that's absolutely incredible stuff. Well, I'm blown away by you, Dan, because I watched you grow up. Right. You were friends with my sons in pre pre K or five years old, four years old and watching you up to what you've become today to this. You get bit by the iron bug there. Right. When you started <laughs> lifting and it was like instant results and you stayed with it. It was just amazing transformation. 
to a young man who, what'd you eat? Chicken nuggets and chocolate milk? <laughs> nuggets, right? chocolate, That's how you grew up. butter and jelly every day. There you go. You were a very <laughs> eater and now you're a nutritionist and you're telling people about healthy foods. And so the transformation you've made in your life is so inspiring and watching you do this and bring all this other knowledge to people that is out there. You know, every week you're doing these podcasts. It's amazing the people you're bringing in and uh, what they're sharing. I'm, I'm pretty proud of you. I was excited when you called about this because I've been <laughs> proud of what you're doing. <laughs> well, geez, thank you. This is, uh, this is quite the moment here. <laughs> no, you deserve it. It's amazing, the transformation you've had. Well, thank you. Uh, really appreciate that. And uh, for those listening, be sure to subscribe because you don't want to miss part two coming out on Wednesday. And if you could, just leave a little review if you're listening on iTunes, share it with a friend. We really appreciate that. And that really helps us get these awesome messages out to more people. So with that, Mr. Bennett, thank you again. Thank you, Dan. What a pleasure.